0: In 2022, I would love for you to join my Patreon group. I offer at least two bonus episodes a month and a monthly advanced read and pre-publication author chat. For those on Facebook, I host a special Patreon Facebook group where we all chat books. Thanks so much to those who already participate, and I hope you will consider joining us. Today, Piper Hughley is joining me to chat about her new novel by her own design. Piper is also the author of Sweet Tea by Hallmark Publishing and the author of two historical romance series, Migrations of the Heart, About the Great Migration, and Home to Milford College. She blogs about the history behind her novels on her website and lives in Atlanta, Georgia, with her husband and son. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome, Piper. How are you today?
1: I'm fine, Cindy. How are you?
0: I am great, and I cannot wait to speak with you about By Her Own Design. It's just such a wonderful book with an absolutely stunning cover, so I have many, many questions.
1: Oh, look, go right ahead. I'm I'm eager for this.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's start out with you telling me a little bit about By Her Own Design for those that won't have read it yet.
1: By Her Own Design is what's called a biographical historical novel about the life of Anne Lowe, who is best known as the Black fashion designer of Jackie Kennedy's wedding gown, which is one of the most photographed wedding gowns in history. Uh, and if anybody out there is a Kennedy aficionado like I am, uh, if you've read Jackie biographies, Uh, Anne Lowe, prior to the past, I'd say, three years, was kind of waved off as the family dressmaker or, in some instances, a colored dressmaker, which was erasure of uh, her marvelous fashion contributions. Anne Lowe was a fashion designer to the Haute Couture and designed for some of the wealthiest women in the United States. She designed for Roosevelt's, Vanderbilt's, Rockefeller's, Marjorie Merweather Post, among many other uh, women of the Social Register. That's what the book is about, her climb from 1898, small town Clayton, Alabama, to that amazing legacy that she built, and uh, hopefully that this novel will begin to restore.
0: And you referenced this a little bit, but while she designed all of those dresses for many, many famous people, her name is not well known at all. So I'm so glad that you told her story because I was completely unfamiliar with her. And as you said, it would be nice to correct that erasure.
1: Yes. Well,
0: how did you first learn about Anne and then decide to write about her?
1: Well, uh, the fact that Jackie Kennedy had a black wedding dress designer was something that I'd always known in the back of my mind, sort of as a Black history fact, but I didn't think much about it. But one night I was cruising on Twitter, as I do, which is my uh, the social uh, media platform where I'm the most active, and uh, my editor retweeted out an article saying, hey, this is a, an opportunity for a biographical historical fiction novel. Would somebody like to write it? And I knew Tessa, we had been acquainted before from other writing conferences and stuff. Uh, so I went and looked up the life story of Anlow as it was put out then on the internet and said, ah, yes, this would make it a great novel. That's not always the case with every subject for biographical historical fiction. But when I saw what I call the factual tent poles of Anlow's life, I knew, yeah, that would be a great, great novel. I went ahead and I wrote the prologue first and sent them to Tessa immediately to try to nail that down. I don't anybody else to trust. That was my main fear. It's like, oh, my gosh, Tessa has all these followers, you know, who are always looking at the things that she tweets because she has acquired several books this way. And I knew she had already acquired a book uh, from a friend of mine. So I was like very nervous. I said, OK, I'm going to write something very quickly and get it to her. And one of the things about Anne Lowe's story that struck me immediately that I knew as the huge nerd that I am was that she died the day after Charles and Diana were engaged. So that was my thought was to place Anne as someone who was looking back on her legacy as the designer of one of the most famous wedding gowns in the world.
0: When you mentioned that about Tessa, that was gonna be my first question is did you let her know? Because I'm sure many people were probably responding and you're like, No, no, I wanna write this book.
1: I I didn't let her know right away. I like I said I just went and off and I wrote those two pages right away and I informed my agent who was not someone who hangs out on social media. So I had to tell her what had happened and why I was doing that. And she said, Oh yes, let's get this off to her right away. And I mean she does tweet out these things, but to be honest, writing biographical historical fiction is probably the most difficult, most long term invested genre that there is. so I probably was being a little too worried. I knew someone else as a historical writer was thinking about it, but I didn't probably didn't need to worry, but i I still when I saw the the factual temples of her life, I was like, "That's for me. And there were reasons for that, too.
0: Well, you make a good point that it does require a ton of effort to do a biographical historical fiction novel versus just historical fiction where you're creating your own characters. Right. Because you definitely want to get it right with biographical historical fiction when you're writing about a person that actually
1: existed. Exactly.
0: Well, also, you make another good point, which is that even though there are all sorts of fascinating people in history, not everyone could necessarily lend themselves to a novel. What was it about Anne Lowe's story that you felt gave you those tent poles?
1: Well, one of the things that I, I noticed right off the bat was that she was from two counties over from where my own ancestors were from. So I thought that that was immediately a great thing that I knew I could draw upon the family stories from my paternal side that I knew about. And that she was also from a part of Alabama that's also relatively close to where Zornio Hurston is from, and I'm a Zornio Hurston scholar. So I knew that I could draw on those things as well in terms of recreating her younger years, which is usually a concern because in that time, in that part of Alabama, there isn't a lot of documentation about what a young Black girl's life would have looked like. So that was one thing that uh, I knew I I could write and recreate with those two aspects of knowledge that I had. But in terms of her life story, it struck me as being the quintessential American story, not just Black American story, but the quintessential American story of her journey in terms of what she weathered over a child bride marriage coming out of that. And the fact that there were people who assisted her along the way, more or less like patrons, like the artist that she was, who also assisted in her climb to designing for these women, and that she had a very clear trajectory in terms of wanting this shop in a particular place. And the fact that she got such joy out of what she did in terms of her uh, story that those were the things that made it very easy and obvious to me, because as a, as a writer, one of the things that you're trying to create is a character who has a clear goal and she had that goal right off the bat. So some of those things were were very appealing. The Jackie Hulk is, was another thing that I'd hoped would make people more curious about her.
0: I love Jackie O, and I always read anything I can about her. So that definitely appealed to me as well.
1: Yeah, that's what I thought is that I thought if people knew about the Jackie connection, they might have questions about Jackie. But I also thought about it as there was a a young, uncertain young woman before she got to be a global icon. And that was something that uh, I wanted to reflect more in this story. And Loeb had worked with Jackie's family over a number of decades, as I said, much more beyond a seamstress and someone who was a fashion designer. From the time that she was commissioned to do her mother's uh, second wedding outfit when she married Hugh Auchincloss, so uh, making those things clear. And what I'd always had curiosity as a young girl was, I guess. I guess would be obvious in terms of had the Kennedys had close connections or ties to any Black people. It wasn't something that I had ever seen in terms of all of the reading about the Kennedys that I had done over the years. So this was the, the one that I knew I could, I could bring more to fruition um, in terms of uh, there being a closer connection, if you will.
0: And let people know Anne's story.
1: And also, yes, uh, let people know Anne's story. Uh, I made an appearance yesterday on a a Facebook platform and someone asked me, Oh, when does Jackie O come up or whatever? I said, This is Anne's time to shine. And Jackie Bouvier, uh, as she is for for much of that narrative, is a supporting character.
0: Absolutely, where she should be. Mm -hmm. Well, tell me about your research. I'm sure that had to be fascinating.
1: Well, as I said earlier, I had already done some of the research just by my existence with my paternal uh, ancestors and my Zora Neale Hurston scholarship. So some of that that already uh, had been done uh, for me and, and formed a certain way for me to begin to understand Anne's world and circumstances that she came from. Some people always sort of ask this whole thing about, oh, what about the primary sources? Uh, was there a diary? Um, Ann Loe only wanted to make beautiful gowns. So she was not concerned about leaving behind those details or, or thinking of herself in this historical way. So, no, there, there wasn't that kind of thing. There were a lot of or a number of newspaper articles. Uh, to draw upon. There's such a thing as the society page uh, that's not as big of a thing right now in in terms of newspapers that documented what the well-to-do went, where they went to places and what they were wearing and who created them. So there was a lot of that kind of stuff down in Florida when she was in Tampa doing the Gasparilla uh, and was the Gasparilla designer kind of thing. But most fortunately, there had been a young textile scholar named Margaret Powell who had been blogging about uh, Anne Lowe over a number of years and who wrote her master's thesis about Anne Lowe that I was able to uh, obtain and lean upon in terms of the way in which Anne made her creations. Of course, it was a textile Thesis, so there was a lot of that, as well as what Margaret had been able to discover in terms of her life. And that was very, very helpful. And it was enough, you know, to begin to craft a narrative for a novel. The one piece of research uh, that eluded me was that Margaret had made reference to Anne Lowe making an appearance on The Mike Douglas Show in 1964. And I knew right away as someone who grew up in Pittsburgh, I knew that in Philadelphia, which is where Group W had been housed and centered, that someone back there probably had that tape. And it was an interesting thing because Mike Douglas went to It went to videotape, I think that's what it is, in 1968. So it's very easy to get Mike Douglas Show episodes from 1968 on, but anything earlier than that was film and would be difficult. So I wasn't able to make it to Philadelphia to obtain it or whatever. And uh, lo and behold, though, it did show up recently. And so it was very interesting to watch it, to see how close had I come in terms of, Her voice, her carriage, all of that, and I I was pleased to see that I was on the money uh, in terms of those uh, larger, more overt things. In terms of Andlo, and a little disappointed that in terms of some of the depictions of things that I had done in the book, that it was actually worse than what I had depicted. So that's that was probably okay for the sake of a novel. One of the things that uh, Tessa imparted from the beginning was that she wanted the book to have a hopeful ending. So I knew where I would end it uh, in terms of it, in terms of creating that hopeful ending. But uh, all of the things that Anne goes through along the way, I was a little bit heart sick to know that some of that was even worse than what I had depicted.
0: That is depressing and sad that it really was even worse than you depicted but how fascinating to actually see her almost come to life. That must have just been an incredible experience.
1: Yeah, it was. It really was. I was pleased I was a, that uh, I felt that as I had done her justice and the fact that the family has come forward lately, uh, the representatives of the family also felt that I had done a, a good job in terms of the book.
0: Well, that's probably the highest praise.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> Exactly,
0: And then you dedicate the book to Margaret E. Powell with a beautiful dedication. I was wondering how you had encountered her and exactly the role that she played.
1: Well, you know, in terms of what she had been putting out there on the Internet for years from like 2010 onward, her blog, uh, that there is a piece of videotape of her even to be able to even see Margaret talk about her work. In terms of determining whether or not a gown was an and low gown, all of those things, and the the thing that, and the larger reason that I, I felt compelled to dedicate it to her uh, as someone in academia, I've seen it happen far too often, the, of uh, black women academics who died before their time, and Margaret was one of those. So I knew that. If the novel could come out and that hopefully enough people could read it, that maybe someone who was a textile scholar, because I am not, would be able to potentially pick up the work that she wasn't able to finish and to finish it. Uh, And I'm pleased to say that once I had published or submitted for publication the manuscript and the dedication, that the Winterthur in December did announce that they are doing an exhibition next year in commemoration for Jack and Jackie's uh, 70th wedding anniversary. So that was one uh, thing I was hoping that there would be more of an exhibition of Anne Lowe's gowns, and that will happen next year. And that um, I'm hoping that someone will go and do the the, uh, scholarly work of writing a comprehensive biography of her. And if you think that, biographical historical fiction takes a lot. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) The Uh, other really takes a lot, yes. Yes, so yeah, that's one of the things that historical fiction can do is what I call put butts in seats in history classes and make people who uh, might potentially be intrigued to take up such a long-term project to do that work. So I'm hopeful that that can happen.
0: I love that. Butts and seats. Yeah.
1: We need those butts and seats in terms of history. History education is in a bit of a crisis right now. And I'm not a history professor, but I know this from regularly talking about it or having to talk about history so that my students can understand the literature that I'm teaching. And believe it when I say that. I spend more than a fair amount of time talking about history before I can even get to the literature that I'm supposed to be teaching.
0: One of the things I enjoy recommending is fiction and nonfiction pairings. And that would be something that would work well if someone would do an Anne Lowe biography. But you've got a fiction story where the story does move along and there's drama and intrigue and all of that. And then you pair it with the nonfiction that does fill in some of the gaps and talk more about what happened with that person and, you know, cover their entire life or an event, whatever it is. But those are always very popular because I think it's nice to see both sides of something.
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. And that's what I I think historical fiction does is it makes people curious, find out, you know, what either what happened to the person or in terms of the event that someone might be writing in terms of putting real people, I mean, fictitious people against the backdrop of fiction. Uh, So yeah, I think that that's that's one of the functions that, that it performs. So that's why I've, I've been looking forward for years in terms of launching what I call this phase to, of my writing, uh, in terms of writing these kinds of biographical historical fictions of unsung Black women.
0: Well, biographical historical fiction is my favorite historical fiction because I love learning about people that I wasn't aware of, filling in some of the gaps of history, things that haven't been told, or have just been lost to history sometimes. Yes, me too. (laughs) Well, was it hard to decide on a format for the story using the dual timeline narrative? Was that something you started with from the beginning? How did all of that come about for you?
1: Well, I just knew people in terms of the whole Jackie thing would be interested, but my thought was to show Anne's strength and resilience and her, her complete spirit by looking at what happened in with the gowns when they were destroyed just a very short amount of time before the wedding. I thought uh, one of the things that's an essential thing in terms of writing fiction is to have people root for the character and that that circumstance in terms of looking at Anne Lowe on the, one of the worst days, certainly not the worst, but one of the worst days of her life And using that opportunity over those days in which she had to recreate Jackie's dress and nine bridesmaids gowns as an opportunity to look back over the events of her life as she's, you know, trying to make it through what it is that she has to do and hopefully accomplish it in enough time. And it was one of those things that she did talk about in her Mike Douglas show appearance and yeah, she was down to the wire in terms of getting those dresses done, but she did it.
0: For those that won't have read the book yet, why don't you talk a little bit more about what happened? I'm aware that the dresses were ruined and she had a very short amount of time to get them redone, but can you expand on that a little bit?
1: Well, uh, she when she talked about On My she said that it was one of her most major commissions. She was so proud of it that she liked looking at her work and had set it up in her shop to have the bridal gown out and on a mannequin and all of the bridesmaids gowns on mannequins. And she acknowledges that was probably the mistake. <laughs> um, for, for the real life aspect was that she explained it, that the, the ceiling of her shop was kind of flimsy to begin with. And that maybe a guy upstairs had a party or something, and that's what caused the ceiling to cave in over the gowns. My supposition in the novel, as I set it up, was that someone had done it on purpose in terms of destroying the commissions. That somebody had cut into one of the pipes in the shop, and that's what caused the disgusting sewer water to come down over the grounds. So it's also a bit of a who done it as you read as well, going through Anne's life in terms of thinking about who could have hated her enough to have done such a thing in terms of ruining the commission. So the real life story, as she uh, explains it, is much less dramatic, but novels are about drama. So... <laughs>
0: I just can't even imagine being so excited to have this commission. You're making these dresses that everyone, literally everyone, is going to be looking at. And then a week or two before the event, they're all destroyed and you're having to start from
1: scratch. How horrible. Mm -hmm. How horrible indeed. But it's almost as if the horrible events of her life prior to that had prepared her to rise to the moment and to do what she had to do. She said, drink a lot of coffee. And just get down to work and get people to help her to pull it off so that she was able to do what she had to do. So it, it's one of those things where you just marvel at her strength and her resilience in, in terms of that. And I was like, my hope was that it would make somebody more curious to know who this woman was and to keep reading.
0: Well, how did you come up with the title and the cover? The cover is just stunning. It's definitely one of my favorite covers of the year. I think it is just absolutely beautiful. But how did both of those things come about?
1: Well, this is great to hear. I'm so glad that you like them because both of those things were uh, a great bit of struggle. <laughs> this book had no title. It, w- it was When it was contracted, it was contracted as Untitled and Low Project. And it's my first book, uh, I've writ- of which I've written like a dozen. That had no title. Uh, I'm usually very good at coming up with titles for my books. And this one, I just didn't have it. So it's a marketing effort and it went through uh, some expansion. My agent was the first who contributed first by design. And then the marketing team threw in by her design and then it became by her own design. So uh, yeah, I had needed the help of some people to figure out the title for this one. The cover was also something else that was quite a turnaround. The initial ideas that people had, I thought, were quite frustrating. What I wanted initially was a more conventional historical fiction cover with Anne's back turned. And it's such almost like a cliche now in terms of historical fiction, the woman with her back turned and and looking at, at some scene. In front of her, that bookstores have literally like set up displays with all the books with women's backs turned in terms of it. But I thought, you know, and and one of the things that uh, you hear, at least I hear when I lurk in uh, historical fiction groups, that uh, everybody's tired of those covers or whatever. But my thought was, well, they sell. And I wanted the book to sell in terms of that. So that's what I wanted. But it seemed as if it was difficult to get that. And my editor rejected several concepts before she came to me with one. And and then when she showed me what they had done, I was like, is that all? And I was almost on the verge of like, you know, I I can only draw stick figures, but I'm willing (laughs) to come to New York and show you what I mean.
0: (laughs) I would love to see stick figures on the cover. That would be entertaining.
1: <laughs> that would certainly
0: be going in a different direction.
1: Very different direction. So I was like, ah, oh. so it took nine rounds. Wow. wow. Yeah. But you like it now? Yes. Oh, yes, I love it. Yeah. Okay. I, it's like when I saw it, I was like, oh, thank God. I was like, this is it. Yeah. So, and they, they presented this one among others. But one of the things that had been difficult, for for them to be able to do and pull off of the fact that in a lot of the depictions it was hard to get Anne centered. And that was one of the things that I insisted on was that she be centered. Because I said this is her time to shine. So yeah, they finally were able to come up with something that I was it was amongst four things that they showed me. I said, No, no, this is it. This is the this is the one thing. And the hat tip, which was I thought, a very cool way of obscuring her face in terms of doing it in a different way than woman with her back turned kind of thing. So
0: I agree completely because I will tell you, I am one of those very anti backturners <laughs> Like I am so tired of that. I just feel like it's so overdone and let's go in a different direction. That so that's, that's actually sells. one of the things that I liked. I know I hear you, but I think it's, I think people are starting to get frustrated. So I think it's not necessarily the direction that people are going now. I think it's starting to turn. And I think it's nice to stand out a little bit, have it be a little bit different. But I do love the hat tip because it, it does pretty much take care of what you're talking about, not having the face. But it's just such a stunning cover. I mean, I love it. The second I saw it, I was like, I have to read that book regardless of what it's about.
1: Oh, awesome. That That's, the, that's what they're supposed to do, so good. <laughs> yes.
0: Well, before we wrap up, why don't you tell me what you've read recently that you really liked?
1: Well, uh, for all of you Jackie Aficionados out there, the release of Jackie and Me was on Tuesday, uh, June fourteenth. So it was the week after mine that came out by Louis Bayard, who is a historical fiction writer who I've admired uh, over time. I'm pleased to be appearing with him uh, on June twenty third in Decatur here in Georgia. Uh, we're going to be doing like I guess a Jackie adjacent panel, you know. <laughs> but Jackie and Me is about. The view of Jack and Jackie's courtship through the lens of Jack's gay best friend, Lem Billings. So it really is an interesting viewpoint in which to look at this emerging relationship, uh, the whole aspect of Jack's you know, having to get married, you know, in terms of his political uh, ambitions. And Jackie's still in that same kind of place where I depicted her as this more uncertain, less confident, less sure person who was not yet the global icon. So that's why I really felt like I connected with uh, Jackie and me. So I highly recommend that one. And I'm in the middle of reading Sister Mother Warrior by my friend Vanessa Riley, which is her second historical fiction based on Black women in the West Indies in Haiti this time.
0: I loved Island Queen, and I can't wait to get to Sister Mother Warrior. I love Vanessa. She is so much fun. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes,
0: she is. The other book you need to read, and I think you all communicated a little bit on social media, is Jacqueline in Paris, which comes out by Anne Ma in the fall, because you two could also do joint events. That would be so fun.
1: Yes, we could. That was also a very good book um, in terms of, again, Jackie's early years which was a great read. I've read that too. And Anne is also very awesome. So yes, I recommend that one as well.
0: I loved it too. I thought, oh, these will be so great. I need to do some kind of pairing with some of these other Jackie books in your book and you know, put them all together because I think it does fill in the gaps and this way also get Anne Lowe's story out there a little bit more. Yes, exactly. Well, Piper, it was delightful to speak with you. Thank you so much for coming on the Thoughts from a Page podcast.
1: Thank you for having me, Cindy. I appreciate it.